Every fall, whether it's on broadcast, cable, or streaming television, there's at least one new show that's about a crime scene investigation, right? FBI, police, right? Who done it kind of show. And so sort of in that spirit then, I want us to sort of uh, imagine we're sort of in a, a TV show here. We'll call it like crime scene investigation, ancient Palestine. And uh, we, have, we have shown up uh, right at the moment of this transaction, there's a, a Hebrew miner named Joseph ben Jacob. And, and Joseph ben Jacob has been sold into slavery. And we've, we've, we've caught the, the whole thing. We're able to stop it. But now we have to figure out who's responsible, right? Who's, who's to blame for, for this travesty of, of brothers selling their own flesh and blood, their own brother, into slavery, and the obvious suspect, of course, are the brothers, right? The ones who, who seem ostensibly to have done it. And what's most damaging against them in the case file is, is that, well, when their brother was trapped in a well, their, their hearts were so hardened to their brother that they just sat there and ate their lunch, ignoring the cries of their brother. But, of course, it's a little bit more complicated than that. We interviewed Joseph, and we found him to be really arrogant, really annoying, right? The kind of the kid who you just kind of know life needs to smack down a few times, right? And then we, when we interviewed all the brothers, Judah really seemed to sort of, he had this, this alibi, and he said, well, I was, I was trying to keep him alive. I just, I thought that slavery would keep him alive and be better than killing him. I don't know, what do you think, audience? Is this somebody who cares for his brother or is this human greed? A little more greed, right? Yeah. But then we, we sort of have the character who's not on stage we keep hearing about, and that's the father, Jacob. And the more we hear about Jacob, we think, Jacob, what were you, what were you thinking giving Joseph this coat and, and letting him sort of tell all of these dreams and not humbling him? What were you thinking that day of sending him off alone to check out his brothers and see how they're doing, that of course this would come to some bad end? And then the last sort of entry into our TV show was, was this other brother, Reuben, who came back late. And Reuben was the most unsettling character of all because, well, you see, Reuben knew the difference in right and wrong. And he kind of did something good. But the more you sort of think about it, it's sort of like he, well, he did enough to appease his conscience, but not enough to change the outcome. Again, he did enough to appease his conscience, but not enough to change the outcome. He knew right and wrong, but he, he lacked the courage to really to drive it all the way through. And so what do you think? I guess we could also blame the slave traders and sort of get existential and just sort of blame the, the general problem on evil in the world. But what do you think? If you were a viewer of this show, how many of you would want to say, oh man, it's, it's the brother's fault they did it? How many of you would want to blame Joseph? And if you want to blame the dad? Yeah. And if you want to blame Judah? And if you want to blame Reuben? How many of you just want to blame everybody? It's a big mess. It's a big mess. But good art, good TV, but 
the stories in the Bible, they, they draw us in. And I'm, and I'm curious now, less a question of analysis and more a question of emotion of the heart. Which person in this story, which person in the story do you find yourself most resonating with, most sort of, not necessarily even empathizing with, but just knowing that those are the shoes in which you've walked? Certainly there are times in life where we're like the brothers, where we're so frustrated with another human, so worn out by their actions in our lives and their attitude that we become deaf to their cries. Our hearts will harden to others. We've been there. Or maybe we painfully remember phases of our life where we were like Joseph, just so arrogant and so thinking about ourselves that we just, yeah, we just knew in retrospect we needed to be humbled. Maybe we're like Judah, recognizing that our greed got the better of us. Who I know so many people who they took promotions and it just tore apart their lives. Maybe though we're like Jacob, where our love of, of one person so blinded us, and we thought we were doing the right thing. We, we thought we were sowing seeds of love, but instead we had just sown seeds of, of discord. And we thought we could manage, finesse, oversee a situation, but it just got out of our control. We lacked the wisdom. Or maybe we're like Reuben, where we have known the right and the wrong thing. And we just did enough that we could sleep with ourselves at night. But we're haunted even decades later, knowing that at that moment we didn't do enough. We lacked the courage to do what we knew was enough. Yes, I think we find ourselves in this story and we find ourselves moving from a blame game to seeing ourselves as culpable of having participated in many situations like this where it's just a grand royal mess and we know we've had a part in the whole thing. Hmm. But let's turn and let's think about this story differently and let's start to ask what, what could have been different? How could have this ended up as a different story? And what would have the story looked like if courage had shown up. Again, what would have this story looked like if courage had shown up? Before I unpack what courage means, I just want to say that during this whole series on Joseph, we're thinking about what it means for us as disciples, as, as followers of Jesus. But we're also taking a step back and saying, what does it mean for us together at St. Paul, where God has called us to and what kind of church we're, we're called to be in this time in this place. And last week we began with, with unpacking of our mission statement, beginning with rooted in God's grace. Today I'd like us to think about the, the middle part of our mission statement. We grow loving relationships with Jesus and each other. Again, we grow loving relationships with Jesus and each other. Now, of course, all of us desire loving relationships in our lives. Right? I, think, I think few of us actually want discontented relationships. Again, almost all of us want loving relationships. Of course, it sounds good with Jesus and each other. 
And in some ways, as a church this, this fall, we're, we're trying to offer and create space for those relationships, whether it's in small groups or, or pancake breakfast and so forth. Again, we want to make space for that. We know that especially after the pandemic, I think we're all hungry for relationships. But I think we know that ultimately, real loving relationships are about more than simply sharing pancakes or even coffee together. And they're about more than having a conversation as heartfelt as that might be. But, but real loving relationships require something else because real loving relationships will ultimately be tested by life, tested by broken situations, by sin. And real loving relationships will require courage, courage. And, and by courage, I, I don't mean, I don't mean uh, that we uh, go online and uh, tell everybody that they're wrong online. That's actually not courage. Courage is something else. Courage, courage is that force, that, that strength, that virtue, that gift from God that, that allows us to do the hard thing, do the necessary thing, do the right thing, even when it has a cost to ourselves for the sake of others and for the sake of life together. Again, courage is that, that force, that, that conviction, that virtue, that gift from God that, that allows us to do the hard thing, something that, again, often has a cost to ourselves for the sake of the other, for the sake of life together. So, so courage might, might, be, might look like the... The person who at lunch during school stands up to the kid who's being mean and just says, why are you being a jerk? Courage might also look like somebody who, who goes to their spouse and says, you know, they go to their wife and they say, you know, the last decade you've stayed at home with the kids and I can tell you really want to work more. And I know most men work, but I'm really ready to stay home so that you can work now. Courage might look like somebody who has a spouse with, or a loved one with dementia. And they go and they visit that spouse with dementia knowing that it's going to be humbling and difficult and hard. But again, they have the bravery to face those obstacles. Courage might look like after the pandemic opening ourselves up again to, to relationships and new people. Again, courage is that force, that virtue, that gift from God that allows us to do the hard thing, the right thing, even at a cost to ourselves for the sake of others, for the sake of life together. And oh, how courage would have changed this story. If Reuben had had the full courage, the courage to say, my brothers, something bad and terrible is going to happen. I can't leave my brother alone with them in a well or anywhere else. I'm so I'm going to go, I'm going to run after Joseph. Now I'm going to run up to him and I'm going to tell him that he needs to go home. And I'm going to have to work with him on his modesty and humility. And then I'm going to go back and I'm going to stand up to my brothers and say, what you're thinking is wrong. And you can kill me first, but we're not going to lay our hands on Joseph. That's the courageous thing. That's the thing that changes the story. And that's a high bar. Now, that's a real high bar because, you see, our culture right now, we're geared, we're wired for individual expression, individual happiness, 
individual achievement. And courage is, is pushing in the other way. Courage is saying, give up yourself. Lay down your life for the sake of others and the sake of life together. You see, this is not the virtue of the day, but this is the way of Christ. This is the ancient way of Christ. This is what Christ taught. Christ embodied again and again taking risks for other people, doing the hard thing, the right thing, even at a cost of his own reputation, his own health, his own life, for the sake of you, for the sake of us, for the sake of relationship with him and others and life together ultimately bearing itself out as he empties himself on the cross, giving up everything, showing such courage in the face of death so that you and I could have forgiveness, that you and I could have relationship with God and with each other again. Courage will show up in the story, finally, and if you want to read ahead, you can, or you can just wait a few weeks and we'll get there together. Courage will show up in all of the people today. The brothers, Judah, Reuben, Joseph, and even Jacob will have to show great courage. And I'd argue Jacob and Joseph most of all, because they have to do one of the most courageous things in life, and that is they have to forgive somebody else. For forgiveness is always an act of courage to do the right thing and to give somebody else another shot, to allow them back into our lives, if not even into our heart. But you see, this, of course, is the courage that is the way of Christ. For, for Christ shows courage again and again as Christ in spite of the sin and death before us, forgives us and restores us to relationship and puts us back into the life of God, both now and forever. So my last question for you is, where do you need courage in your life this week? What relationship, what situation, what, what project, what task requires courage from you and so pondering that let us pray oh christ you taught us the way of courage the way of doing the hard thing the right thing even at a cost to ourselves for the sake of others this week as we face our life and tests and trials and relationships give us the strength give us the courage that is the way of you Amen.